take your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 26. Uh, a lot of the verses are in that outline this morning, but uh, Matthew 26 is going to be really where we're going to be spending a lot of our time <coughs> on this lesson. And we've been, for those of you that are visiting with us or maybe haven't been here in a while, uh, in our Sunday school hour here uh, as adults, we've been studying the life and ministry of the Apostle Peter. Peter was a man greatly used of God, but Peter's uh, one of those individuals that I think all of us can relate to from time to time. That includes men and women. Uh, so, many, so many lessons that Peter learned, and a lot of churches have given up on Sunday school, but I think it's a great time to teach the Word of God and to learn lessons. And uh, I, I'm always glad when God teaches me something. And uh, if you notice by the title of the lesson this morning, I've entitled this Actions and what? Reactions. Now, listen, I'm going to tell you before I start this morning that you and I, we are known either by our actions or by our reactions. And unfortunately, many of us are known by our reactions more than by our actions. And so let's learn something today from the Word of God. And I've used a verse out of the book of Psalms this morning. You see there in the introduction, before we get to Matthew 26, the Bible says in Psalm 27, verse 14, Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and He shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Wait, I Notice in one verse, twice, the psalmist writes, wait on the Lord. Anybody else besides me have a hard time waiting, being patient? <laughs> it's something I think a lot of us struggle with is showing patience. And David again says two times, wait on the Lord. I say, wait on the Lord. You see, God wants us in our lives to have a response to situations in our lives, one that would honor the Lord. Those responses that we would have instead of responding in the flesh. And today's lesson deals with something that the Bible calls forbearance. Now, forbearance means to refrain or to hold back. A lot of times we just, like Peter, we open our mouth and we let her fly. You know, we, we have a hard time waiting on the Lord. We, we get in the flesh. We want to take care of it. You know, and it's, it, you know, I, I, can, I can handle this is a lot of times what we're thinking in our minds, but God wants us to be like him. He wants us to be long-suffering. God wants us to be slow to wrath. God wants us to be patient. Look what Paul writes in 2 Timothy 2. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient. That's what God says for us. If we are truly a servant of the Lord, James says it this way, my brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith, anybody's faith been tried? Maybe even this week, right? But watch this, knowing that the trying of your faith worketh what? Patience. See, when God put your faith to the test, what is he trying to get you to do? He's trying to get you to forbear. He's trying to get you to wait on him, to be patient. And it's not an easy thing to do because it, it's counterproductive to our flesh. We, we struggle with waiting. Notice what James says here. He says, but let 
patience have her perfect what? Work. Let patience have her perfect work, that she may be perfect. Now, look, is there any perfect people in here this morning? No. I think most of us probably have been saved and studied the Word of God long enough to understand that the word perfect there means mature, uh, being growing in the Lord. You know, we have to start somewhere in our Christian life. But, you know, the Bible gives the analogy that when you're saved, you're a babe in Christ. You're, you're kind of sucking on the bottle, the sincere milk of the Word of God. But our lives shouldn't be spent sucking on the bottle. We should eventually uh, go to stronger things. The Bible talks about a strong meat. Uh, we need to move along in our Christian life. Well, again, we have to be patient. Uh, you know, my granddaughter, you know, that's here at church, I mean, she's, she's, you know, every now and then she'll take a bottle, but sometimes I see her eating things and I'm like, I look at my daughter like, are you serious? You're going to let her eat that? You know, and my daughter's like, hey, she's been eating chicken for a couple weeks now, you know, and, and, you know, she, she, you know, that milk only lasts so long and we need to, we need to understand that it's a patient work, that we are perfect and entire wanting nothing. Now, the lesson today in Matthew 26 deals with this matter of waiting on the Lord to forbear. And really, again, we learn the lesson from Peter's mistake. And I'm always glad when somebody else makes a mistake and I can learn from their mistakes. But I, can I tell you this morning, I've made my fair share of mistakes. And I'll probably make some more. But I want you to see it all begins in the lesson in Matthew 26 with, first of all, the betrayal. Now, we've been going through the life of Peter, and so in Matthew 26, if you look at a couple of verses, beginning in verse number 20, the Bible says, and when the even was come, he sat down with the twelve, and as they did eat, he said, verily I say unto you, that one of you shall betray me. And they were exceeding sorrowful, and began every one of them to say to, unto him, Lord, is it I? Isn't that interesting? That every one of them asked that question. Lord, is, am I the one that's going to betray you? Almost like, I guess it's within me, is what every one of them was saying. And, and the Bible says here in the next verse, that as they asked this question, Lord, is it I? Verse 23, he answered and said, He that dippeth his hand with me in the dish, the same shall betray me. How many of you think all of them probably dipped their hand in that dish? That didn't really answer their question, did it? You know, every one of them said, is it me? Is it I? Notice the next verse. The Son of Man goeth as it is written of him, but woe unto that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It had been good for that man if he had not been born. Then Judas, which betrayed him, answered and said, Master, is it I? He asked the same thing. And notice Jesus says to him, thou hast said. Now, as we look at this, I want you to think about this because as hard as it is for us to think about, now listen, this betrayal, we, we know that nothing surprises God. Would you agree with that? God knows everything, right? So Jesus knew even before this time of sitting down and having this last meal, Matter of fact, I believe he knew before he even selected the 12. I believe he knew from eternity past. You see, this betrayal, I know it's hard for us to understand because we're man and we're not God, 
But this was all a part of God's plan. Everything was working according to God's will, God's plan. Jesus knew what was going to happen, and yet he allowed himself to be led to the cross. And why did, it, why did all this happen? So that the scriptures might be fulfilled. See, God gave his word. And you see a lot of the Old Testament coming to light in the New Testament of our Bible. And we find that same thing here is that it had to be this way. Well, it's interesting how that betrayal happened. Notice, first of all, it, it was this, the kiss of Judas. If you're still in Matthew 26, look in verse number 48. The Bible says here in verse 48, Now he that betrayed him gave them a sign, saying, Whosoever I shall kiss, that same is he, hold him fast. And forthwith he came to Jesus and said, Hail, Master, and he kissed him. Now, I like to pay attention to my Bible. When I read the Word of God, I pay attention to every little detail. You know why? Because God says every jot and tittle. The equivalent in our language, in the English language, to a jot and a tittle would be like a crossing of the T and the dotting of an I. If you notice there in your Bible, the word master that Judas said to him, is it a capital M or a small m? It's a small m. Now again, there's no mistake there because you see a low regard for Jesus by Judas. Pay attention to details when it comes to the Word of God. This kiss that Judas gave, now we all know that kisses tend to uh, mean that there's some love or tenderness or affection uh, on the part of maybe the one giving that kiss to someone else, but certainly we know that this was not, the Bible called it a sign. He says, I'm going to give you a sign, the one that I kiss, uh, that's the one, hold him fast. Now, uh, while the Passover meal was going on, and that's what we began to read this morning in our text, while this Passover meal was going on, Judas kind of slipped away or stole away from them. Look what it says in John 13. And look at these words. After the sop, remember Jesus said, whoever dips his hand in the sop. The Bible says, after the sop, Satan entered into him. Then said Jesus unto him, that thou doest do quickly. Now remember, when, when we look at our Bible, there are, let me, let me say this, put it this way. There's only one gospel of Jesus Christ. Would you agree with that? Okay. And we, we know gospel means good news. Okay. Uh, let me illustrate it this way. Let's say that I was involved in a car accident uh, here on Pines and Flamingo. It's a four-way with lights in all directions. And let's say the police show up to the accident and they see Roman standing uh, by his car and they go over to him and they begin to talk to him about maybe what did he see, what happened. And then they, they see Lily in her car and so they go over, another officer goes over to her and begins to ask. And then they see Robert there and they ask Robert, you know, hey, what did you see? And then maybe they see Wally standing on the sidewalk and they go over to him, what did you see? Now, it's one accident, one scene, right? But it's the accident according to Roman. It's the accident according to Lily. It's the accident according to Robert. It's the accident according to Wally. What those officers are then going to do is they're going to compile their information 
and they're basically going to look for consistencies to try to figure out exactly what happened. Are you with me? Now, what God uniquely did in our Bible is he gave us the gospel according to Matthew, the gospel according to Mark, the gospel according to Luke, and according to John. Four men, but when you put it all together, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's your lesson for this morning. This is Sunday school, all right? All right? Now, we read from Matthew this morning, Matthew 26, but look here in your notes, I gave you Another place in the gospel records that is an identical place, but it's in John's gospel, where Jesus tells Judas, after Satan entered into him, he says, whatever you're going to do, and by the way, he knew what he was going to do. He says, whatever you're going to do, do it quickly. And look, let's read on. Now, no man at the table knew what, for what intent he spake this unto him. In other words, if I can paraphrase, the rest of the disciples were clueless. They didn't, they didn't have a clue what was going on. And the Bible goes on to say, for some of them thought, because Judas had the bag, everybody understand what that means? He was what? He was the treasurer, right? So because he had the bag, Jesus, they thought, because Jesus said that unto him, he says, buy those things which we have need of against the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. He then, having received the sop, went out, immediately out, and it was night. So here's the, the situation is Judas knew that when he went out from this supper, this time with the Lord, Satan had entered into him. And as a result, when he, he said to those that were going to come and arrest Jesus, he knew it was a nighttime, it was dark. They didn't have street lights and things like that. They were in the Garden of Gethsemane, a lot of trees. And as a result of that, Judas thought, well, it's going to be hard to pick him out, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to identify him for you. And so Jesus knew exactly what was going to take place, and so like many today, he knew much about uh, all that uh, Judas knew what was Jesus was going to do in this situation, but a verse that just propped up in my mind as I was thinking about this was, look at Proverbs 27, 6, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. And we see this betrayal of Judas, but then notice letter B, the kindness of Jesus. I find in, in Matthew 26, again, look at verse 50, the Bible says here, Jesus said unto him, notice the word, friend, wherefore art thou come? Then came they and laid hands on Jesus and took him. Now, Jesus knew why Judas had come. Isn't it interesting that he knew that Judas was leading others to him, to betray him, to arrest him. And of course, the Lord knew what was going to happen during those trials, after those trials, all the way to Calvary and on the cross. And yet, what did Jesus call Judas? Did anybody catch it? He called him friend. I mean, with friends like that, who needs enemies, right? Doesn't that tell you something about our Savior? It reminds me of Romans chapter 5 in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Aren't you glad he was a friend of publicans and sinners? By the way, if Jesus, and I really believe that he meant that word friend, if Jesus didn't love Judas, as much as he loved me, 
then he wouldn't have been the Jesus that I know. He wouldn't have been God. Because the Bible says God so loved the world. And he calls him friend. I mean, what a, what, what a great illustration of God's amazing grace when he called Judas friend. I mean, how Jesus felt about Judas, I love this. What he felt about Judas did not depend on how Judas felt about him. Jesus loves all sinners. And we who are saved, I mean, I know it's Thanksgiving, but we ought to be eternally thankful. If there's one thing that every Christian should be thankful for, and that is your salvation, for the, God's goodness in your life. And, and our response, a lot of times when, when we're wronged, I mean, Jesus was wronged by Judas, and, and yet what did Jesus call him? Friend. But remember, we're known by our actions and our reactions. Jesus called Judas friend. I wonder if somebody wronged us, what we would call them, what we would say to them or about them. See, we are to be like God. We're to be forbearing. We are to be forgiving. We are to be like Christ. Listen, the Lord Jesus was loving and he was kind. Look at the Bible says in Colossians 3 in your notes, put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, look at this word, which is the bond of what? Yeah, remember that word perfect means maturing, right? So look here, what helps us, what glues us together as we become more mature in the Lord? Love, charity, kindness. Jesus called Judas. I mean, he led them to the garden to arrest him. And Jesus called him friend. It's amazing when you look at the love that Jesus has, it truly helps us to understand God's love for us. It, listen, the question this morning is, how do we treat those who mistreat us? How do we treat those? We need to follow the Lord's example. And, and again, look, we're talking about the betrayal. But the betrayal, secondly, led to the battle. Go back in Matthew 26 in the next verse, verse 51. Look at this. And behold, one of them which were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck a servant of the high priest and smote off his ear. He, he, he cut the guy's ear off. Now again, remember what I told you about our actions and our reactions? Would you say this was a good example of reacting? You know, I mean, he took matters into his own hands, right? Somebody, somebody arrested Jesus. Somebody was there to do harm to the one that he loved. So what does he do? He reacts to that. Peter rose to the Lord's defense and he sought to protect Jesus by personally assaulting one of the high priest's servants. Look, folks, don't get me wrong. I think that it's good to stand up for the Lord. Let me say that again. 
It's good to stand up for the Lord. There needs to be times in our lives where stand up, stand up for Jesus, ye soldier of the cross, right? But can I tell you this, that although it is good to stand up for the Lord, it needs to be done God's way. Do you get that this morning? Because Peter stood up for the Lord. But how many of you think taking the guy's ear off was probably not God's way? Say, so how do you know that? Well, let's continue to, to look at it. Because I see, first of all, the sword of Peter. If you go to John's gospel there in your notes, the same passage, Simon Peter having a sword. Isn't that interesting? One of Jesus' disciples, he's got a sword. And he drew it. He smote the high priest's servant, cut off his right ear. Now, John tells us that the servant's name was Malchus. So now Malchus, if somebody says, can you hear me now? <laughs> Malchus is struggling. By the way, you ought to be thankful for your hearing. The older I get, I don't know who's worse, me or my wife. You know, what'd you say? Huh? You know? But, but, but here's the thing is, we need to understand that as Peter reacted, that understand now, it is God, not Peter or us, that should be the judge. Look what Jesus said in that famous Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, judge not that ye be not judged. Can I just tell you, God did not save you to be judge and jury for anyone else. I mean... I've had a few times, I don't know if you call it pleasant or unpleasant, to be called for jury duty. And it's part of my civic duty. But understand that I'm serving as a juror and not the judge. And when you and I come to know the Lord as our Savior, He is the judge of this, this whole world. That it is God's responsibility to judge and not ours. So many Christians... They want to use the verses in the Bible where it says, you know, that, that uh, 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 you shall know them by their fruit. Well, man, if you're trying to pay that much attention to their fruit, what about your fruit? I got a hard enough time with myself. I don't need to be worried about somebody else. You know, again, look here. Our spirit and attitude should be one of, of that of, as of Christ, that we should love one another, forgive one, forbearing one another. You know, we, we quickly forget those verses in Colossians 3 that we just read. You know, and, and so many times we want to be like Peter. Peter reverted to the concepts that Peter had known and he had found in the Jewish law where the Bible uh, in that law would say, and this is what Peter was ingrained with as a young man, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That's, that's what he was living by. In the heat of the moment, guess what Peter did? He forgot what Jesus has taught his disciples. Can I remind you what Jesus had taught them? Listen to this. Whosoever shall smite thee on the right cheek, turn to him the other. That's what Jesus had taught them. But, but, but Peter reverted back to an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And as a matter of fact, I, he probably in his own mind justified his actions. We should always examine our motives, why we do something. And listen, are we doing what God wants us to do? That should always be the question that we ask ourselves. 
And again, I don't believe that it's what the Lord would have had Peter to do. So I see here the sword of Peter, but notice I see the sympathy of Jesus. In Luke's gospel that runs parallel to where we're reading this morning in Matthew 26, Jesus answered and said, look at this, suffer ye thus far, and he touched his ear and healed him. How many of you think Malchus's hearing was probably just as good or better after Jesus put his ear back on? How about that, man? The guy's ear is laying on the ground. Jesus bends down, picks it up. There's still blood on Peter's sword, and Jesus takes his ear, puts it up to his head, and then he pulls it away, and he says, can you hear me now? And Malchus is like... See, again, I don't think that it was what the Lord would have had Peter do. He reacted to a situation. Jesus responded to an unjust attack. Well, how did he respond? Jesus responded with peace. He responded with silence. I think about what the Bible says about the Lord Jesus and how he responded. Look at Isaiah 53. What a great passage. The Bible says about the Lord, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He's brought as a lamb to the slaughter. And as the sheep before her shears is dumb, so opened not his mouth. Jesus Look, when, when they nailed him to the cross, I, I, from this passage and a few other places in the Bible, I have to believe in my heart that Jesus was not cursing and swearing and bad-mouthing. As a matter of fact, I believe he just laid his life down on that cross. He says, no man taketh my life from me. I lay it down of myself. Jesus did not revile back when he was reviled. Jesus not only refused, he not only refused to fight back, but I love this, he healed Malchus. I mean, in this difficult time, isn't it interesting that Jesus is still, as he's getting closer and closer to the cross, he is still putting others before himself. He's constantly thinking about others. He lived to love the unlovely. How many of you tomorrow that person that you struggle with at work would go to work tomorrow and show them some love and kindness. Look at what Jesus taught. If we go back to that Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Somebody's cursing you, bless them. Do good to them that hate you. Somebody that hates you, Take them some cookies tomorrow. Talk about pouring some water on their fire. Can you Listen, can you imagine, instead of reacting every time, instead of being a volcano every time, can you imagine what it would do or how it would silence them if you do good to them that hate you? How about this one? Pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Pray for them? Are you serious, pastor? You want me to ask God to work in their heart and lives? Yes. See, many times what we do is we try in our flesh, we try to do things instead of giving it to God. And we see here the sympathy of Jesus. It was just the opposite of the sword of Peter. 
the summary of Jesus' life can be summed up in the words that we find in the Bible. He went about doing good. That's what Jesus did. He came to do the will of him that sent him. Well, y'all have to know that God only does good. Go back and study the creation account in the book of Genesis, and everything God created, here's what he says, and it was good, and it was good, and it was good. Can I tell you, God doesn't make bad things. God makes good things. Everything man touches, he seems to ruin, you know? If you, if you understand, you probably understand this just as well as I do, if you've had children and you buy new furniture or a new car. You know, it isn't long before what's new is old. It's got stains on it and so on. But we see here that Jesus went about doing good. And as God's people, we need to have a pattern in our lives, a pattern of good works. Look at Matthew 7 in your notes. Even so, every good tree... Bringeth forth what kind of fruit? Good fruit. But a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. So look, we see here that this battle that was going on that, that it was because of the flesh of Peter. He reacted, but aren't you glad for the actions of Jesus? We see here the sympathy that Jesus had. But then notice, as we think about this lesson this morning, the betrayal that led to the battle, that look at thirdly, led to the binding. The binding, because Jesus allowed himself to be bound. Remember back over in the Bible in um, Genesis chapter 22, uh, Abraham and his son, anybody remember his name? Isaac. Very good. I heard his, a couple of you say it. Remember when he was asked of God to take his son, the one that he had waited for, the son of promise? And I want you to take your son, I want you to go over to this mountain. Remember what, he, what the Lord asked him to do? Asked him to offer up his son. And so he had some servants with him, and he told his servants, he says, you stay here, and I and the lad will go yonder. And it, here's what the Bible says, and we're going to worship God. So they go over there, and on the way over, his son Isaac, who I don't believe was a little bitty boy. I believe if you look at enough of the scriptures, you, you realize he was probably a, a strapping young man, you know, probably 18, 20, maybe older. And remember what he said to his dad? He says, we have the fire and we have the wood. What were they missing? Sacrifice. And so he takes his son over there to offer his son up. And Isaac, who is a beautiful picture, a type of Jesus, he allowed himself to be bound by his father. Total submission. That's exactly what Jesus did. He didn't fight back. Look at John's gospel there in your notes. Same passage. Then the band and the captain and the officers of the Jews took Jesus and bound him and led him away to Annas first, for he was father-in-law to Caiaphas, who was the high priest that same year. Now Caiaphas was he 
which gave counsel to the Jews that it was expedient that one man should die for the people. So we see the arrest of Jesus. Again, why did this happen? Because the scriptures had to be fulfilled. This is what Jesus had been telling his disciples. Look in Matthew 16, 21. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go to, unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised again the third day. Look, it was no mystery. It, now, it took a while because, again, God does everything decently and in order, but Jesus did begin to tell his disciples and show them this is what's going to happen. It's going to start to unfold. There were, there were times where Jesus said it's not time yet, but the time had come where we are in our passage today. The Bible says that Luke recorded the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Well, the only way that he could save them, the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. He was the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. So we find here the, the arrest of Jesus, which led to the ascent of Jesus. And by ascent, here's what I mean is that Jesus, because he was the Son of God, because, as Guy mentioned, he was submissive unto his Father, this assent means that he was in agreement. He yielded himself to his Father's will. He complied with it. Look what Luke says in Luke 22. Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Jesus is saying, look, uh, you know, if this is what needs to happen, and by the way, he knew that he was God. But Jesus could have destroyed every one of his attackers with a word. He could have looked at him and destroyed him that way. He's all powerful, but he allowed himself to suffer. If Jesus would have resisted at the time of his arrest, it would have been against the will of God if he would have resisted. And I love where the Bible records. Listen to what it says. He was meek and lowly. Those words describe him. Meekness is strength under control. We all know that even when Jesus went to ascend back to the Father, he says, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. And then he says, go ye therefore. In other words, that power that he had on earth, he gave to us. Now, it's not our power. It's his power to do his will. And so he had all power, but he also had all control. The Lord embodied meekness. And as we think about that, it'll help us in our lives to be forbearant towards others, to be patient with others, to not react the way that we oftentimes do, but it'll oftentimes help us to act the way that we should. Listen, can I tell you, if you're a Christian, as my mom used to say to me, act like one. That's what we need to do. Jesus said in John 8, 29, for I always do always those things that please him. So what's the lesson today? Well, listen, it's for us, just like Peter. It reminds us this, that the Christian walk is not always easy. And it's not always comfortable. There's going to be times where we're going to struggle, but when we do, when we go through difficult times, we have to, we have to trust the Lord. 
We have to rely on him for strength during those times of trials and difficulties. But listen, this morning, be encouraged by the fact that as we go through them, he is all-powerful. Listen, he's the one that put Malchus's ear back on his head. He's the one that went to the cross, was buried, and rose again. And he's alive today. He's all-powerful, and he has the strength to solve any problem that you have or any need in your life. I'm glad that's my God. You see, for Jesus, listen, it was the betrayal. It was led to a battle that led to the binding. But Jesus went about doing good. What's going to be said about you? Are you going to go about doing good? Are you going to go around just exploding all the time? Let's learn to forbear one another, to forgive one another. And let's heed the lesson that we've learned from Peter's life today. Lord, thank you this morning for the word of God. Thank you for the opportunity we have to look at these passages this morning and to glean things that would help us. Lord, I know that in my own life many times, Lord, I just will have the wrong attitude. I will, Lord, react to things in a way that's not Christ-like. Help us to be more like your son, Jesus to follow his example. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen.